We had finished up the book of Second Peter, and uh, not really sure where we're going next, but this is a really cool study regarding uh, some of the things that we have and what to do with what we have. You know, I was reading a story the other day. I don't know if you guys heard about the largest cross in America. You guys heard about that? They're going to be making this crazy cross in Texas. It's going to be 95 feet wide and 210 feet high. And so, uh, you know, a telephone pole, from what I understand, is 40 feet high. So think about that. Five telephone poles high. It's going to cost a million dollars to make. It's going to be visible from five miles away, 10 miles if you're in the air. And it's just, you know, crazy. And, And you might wonder, well, why are they making such a massive cross? You know, why are they doing that? And the answer is the pastor was talking to the media and he was just telling them because the cross, it's, it's a symbol of the love of God. You know, the cross, uh, he was talking about how even other crosses throughout the, the world, they change lives. Uh, there are some stories of people who are on their way to take their life. They're on their way to commit suicide and they saw the cross and God spared them. Or there are other stories of gals who were on their way to get an abortion and it was just the power of the cross that just just gripped her heart, the mom's heart and you know the life was spared and there was story after story after story when by the Holy Spirit the people saw the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know, for us to be able to lift it up high is what we desire to do. And who knows, what do you guys think? We should build a big cross here, huh, man? 225 feet high, you know, as long as it's big. Wouldn't that be cool, you know? Not necessarily just for some type of an icon, but man, that God would change lives. You know, maybe you're here today and you thought about taking your own life, you know, because the enemy, he does that. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like you've got no reason to live or, you know, you're addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or your marriage is on the rock, so you can't find a job and you don't know how you're going to make next month's rent and you feel like quitting, you feel like splitting from life. Man, I want to encourage you to see the cross. Because it's not just an empty cross, it's a bloody cross where God died for you. And if you can see that, I'm telling you guys, it will change your life. On the cross, Jesus was crucified. He died to provide us with things that we need in life. And today in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see a few things that we have as Christians and then what to do with what we have. And so we just kind of jump right into the middle of the message in Hebrews 10, in verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching." 
you know, the day. In my Bible, the D is capitalized. You know, the day. You know, the day that Jesus comes, man. The day that we die. You know, that day is coming, you know. And as a result of that, and in lieu of that, there's a certain life that we need to live before our life is over. You know, I think a lot of times we struggle because we don't know what we have, you know. And I I love what we see here. The writer, he tries to, first of all, before he asks anything of us, he tries to tell us what we have. The first thing we see is there in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have, we should have boldness as believers. We should have confidence as Christians. We have access to Almighty God. Do you guys know that? Are you a Christian? You believe Jesus died for you? You believe he rose from the grave? You believe that when he was on the cross, all your sins were laid on him? You put your faith in him? Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then you're a believer with boldness, and you're a Christian with confidence. And you've got to know this, that the door is flung wide open. It'll never close. It'll be taken off its hinges. You will always have an audience with Almighty God anytime, anywhere you are. God will always be there to fellowship with you because he is your father because you are forgiven. And that's an important message for us to know. We got to have that boldness, you know. I mean, last night after I was studying this, I was on my way home and, and I know these things, you know, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It just flooded over the person that I am. And I was there in my truck and I was just talking to God. And I was just so blessed by this audience that we have with Almighty God. And you guys, we got to know what we have. We have boldness. We have confidence as Christians. The door will always be open. God will always let us in. He will always have the time. And he will always want and have the desire to be with us. And I don't know if you guys know this, but, you know, um, I'm a chaplain for the Almani Police Department. Don't tell anybody that because you never know what God will, people will do with that. Anyways, you know, go, as a chaplain, I, uh, I go into the station from time to time and they gave me a little card and you just kind of swing the card and it opens up. But I lost my card because that's just the type of man that I am. I lost my wallet. I would lose my head if it wasn't attached. That's just the way that I am. So anyways, when I go down to the station now, I have to punch in the number and I have to wait for them to talk to me and see if they'll let me in. And to be honest with you, every time I go, because it's been a while now, I'm just thinking, you know what, they're probably not going to let me in this time. I just have a feeling that they don't like me anymore, you know, or... (laughs) I don't know, somehow I got taken off the list and just every time I'm sweating bullets wondering if they're going to let me in. You know, and, and I think that's sometimes how we are with God. We're like, well, I don't know if he's going to let me in today because I you know, blew up with my wife or I slipped here or I stumbled there. Or, you know, you got mad at somebody who cut you off on the freeway or whatever. And, and God's not like that. God will always let you in. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, I'm not talking about living life, you know, presumptuous sin and you don't care, you know. I mean, I I don't want to encourage that in any way, but I just want to tell you that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And it's in those difficult times when you've blown it with your wife or your husband or your kids or your dog or whatever it is, it's in those times that you need to run to God. 
You know, the enemy will tell you, well, God won't listen to you because you've sinned, but that's the enemy. God will say, come to me, and we can make things right, and I will wash you, and I will forgive you, and I will restore you, and we'll cut this short, and we won't have to prolong this any longer. See, for us as Christians, we've got to know that we have this boldness as believers, confidence as Christians. He says right there, to enter the holiest. Think about that. That we can get into the holiest, the place is just amazing to me. Other translations call it the most holy place, and it's the most holy place of all because there our most holy God is found in his fullness. You know, as you study your Bible, you'll find that it was symbolized in the tabernacle and the temple. They had two rooms. They had the most place, the holy place, and then the most holy place. And in that certain room right there, you could never go in. We could never go in. Um, the high priest was the only one that can go into that room, and even he could only go in once a year. That room right there, it was where God's throne was. It was where the Father was in his fullness. We can never go in until Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And God said, come on in. And it's from that point forward. He says right here that as believers, as brethren, we can have boldness. As Christians, we have confidence because we can go into the most holy place of all. I mean, it's one thing going into the police department, but it's another thing maybe going into the chief's office, so to speak, you know. Some of you here, you maybe never even met the boss or the owner of your company because he wouldn't give you the time of day. You know, try getting an appointment with the president or even a governor or even a mayor. I mean, that right there could be a challenge. But imagine you and I have access to Almighty God all the time. That's what he's trying to... Do you know what you have? That's what he's saying right here. You have this. You know, you might be here thinking, well, I don't know if I can go in because I've done a lot of bad things. And some of you guys, I, I, I bet you have. I can just tell by looking at you, man. And That's all right, man. The bottom line is uh, we have all sinned. No sin is greater than another sin. Sin is sin. We've all messed up, man. That, that's not a question. The question is just whether or not you're a believer. Are you a believer? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the ultimate you know, question that would then roll out the ultimate red carpet. Have you ever walked on the red carpet? I mean, that must be special, huh? Going to some special event. Well, I think that was all founded in Jesus, you know, that red carpet that, that he rolls out for us, that makes a way for us to go into the most holy place. You know, to be honest with you, I don't have confidence in my behavior ever. I am never worthy. I'm never good enough. It doesn't matter how long I prayed or how many, you know, I's I've dotted or T's I've crossed or things that I've done. I'm never worthy. I don't have any confidence in my behavior, but I do have confidence in his blood. You know, you got the Windex to wash the mirrors and the windows, and you got the armor all, and it washes up the tires, and you got the, the pledge or the lemon oil, and you take care of that wood and you make it shine. You got all the different things for all the different needs, and then you got the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins. That's what he's saying right here. You know, this is in reference to Jesus' death on the cross. Ephesians 3, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. 
You know, have you ever been like to a place or maybe somewhere in your life where you feel like, I don't even know if I should call them because they won't answer. I don't even think they would even respond to a text message. And if I try to reproach them, I don't think like I can because I feel like they would reject me. I mean, have you ever felt that way? And sometimes we feel that way with people. And I, and I think sometimes we feel that way with God, but that's not, that God would never, ever, ever turn you away. That's what he's trying to say right here. You know, it's interesting there in verse 20. um, He says that we have this boldness to enter in by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The word new right there, some translations use the word fresh, fresh and living. Really, the Greek word, it speaks of being freshly slaughtered. So it's kind of interesting the way that he, like, it's like he just died. If you can just let that be fresh in your mind, but he didn't stay dead or down. He, he, he rose. He's a fresh, freshly slaughtered living way. That's who Jesus is for us, you know? I mean, when you look at that, it's just so cool the way he paved the way. He is the way to the most holy place, and he consecrated it, says in there in verse 20, and that word is in reference to inaugurating uh, and dedicating, for example, in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it was used for the temple or the tabernacle or the new king or the new nation or the new kingdom. And what Jesus did when he died is he dedicated, he inaugurated, he consecrated a new covenant, a new relationship that you and I can have with God through him. It's all by the blood of Jesus that's shed on that cross. I just want to, you know, encourage you guys today, you know, whether or not your team wins or loses in the Super Bowl, you know, I want you to know as a Christian, you already won, right? I want you to know that you have confidence as Christians. You have boldness to fellowship with God because you have the blood of the Son of God. And I pray you remember that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay, we have that. Second thing we have is we have Christ. We have the high priest. Look at verse 21. It says, And having a high priest over the house of God. What do you got? Well, you have confidence, what do you have? You have Christ. I mean, I tell you what, it's pretty cool what we have. The book of Hebrews, it talks a lot about the fact that we have a high priest, that Jesus is the high priest, and the blessing it is to have him, this particular high priest. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with priests. I know for me growing up, I grew up in the Catholic background, and I, and I know the priests, and I've seen the priests. But, you know, in looking at that, what we find is Jesus is the priest that all priests are supposed to point to, right? All others are just shadows of the substance of who he is. You see, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is calling the Jews out of Judaism. It wasn't to be a religion any longer. It was to be a relationship directly with God because Christ had fulfilled the requirements of the law. They didn't need the law any longer. They didn't need human priests. They didn't need temporary sacrifices because Jesus offered himself as an everlasting sacrifice. And what we find, I don't know if you guys can catch that. You have Jesus. Does that mean anything to you? I mean, you have Christ. 
He's your priest. He's your personal priest. He's your great high priest. You have him. And that's what we're trying to teach. And that's what the writer here is trying to just, you know, let the people know. Because you can't go nowhere unless you know this stuff. And you got to know what you have in order that you can go and just do the things you need to do with what you have. You know, the high priest, you could go back to the book of Hebrews and talk a lot about it, but even if you just go up to verse 11 of Hebrews 10, it says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I mean, the writer of the Hebrews is contrasting those priests with the new priests. And the old priests, they never sat down because the work was never done. The blood of, you know, the animals was not sufficient to wash away the sins. And so they were always offering sacrifices. But Jesus offered himself and then he sat down. Why? Because he finished the work. If you read on here... It says in verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds, I will write them. So you have Jesus as the one who finished the work. He sits down. It's a done deal. You also have Jesus as a priest. He's your teacher. Okay? But if you can visualize a teacher not writing on tables of stone, not writing on paper, not sending you an email of some sort of soft you know, file, writing his word, his message on your heart. That's who we have. He deals with the inner man, and it's just amazing. And not only that, look at the last thing. It says in verse 17, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Imagine that. I mean, you know, all the things that you've done wrong. How many of you here, you remember them, huh? And they plague you, and, and, and you're guilty, and your spouse remembers them too, you know? And you're like, sweetheart, it's been 17 years. Why do you keep bringing that up? Because they don't know how, how to forgive. They don't know how God has forgiven them. God says, I, I, I cast it as far as the east is from the west. I throw it into the deepest part of the ocean and throw up a sign that says no fishing. You know, some of us say, well, we'll bury the hatchet, but I'll leave the handle showing. You know, that's how we are. God's not like that. God says, I don't know. I don't remember your sins. Do you understand that? That's what it is when we have confidence as Christians. That's what it is when we have Christ. And you guys are going to know that. That's who you are. Walk in that, in that freedom. Go forward in that grace. Run through the fields of forgiveness. You know, a lot of times people, they come and, and they mess up and they feel like, you know, they, they can't be a Christian or maybe they have given their life to Christ and they stumble and they struggle and, it's a, and they just can't overcome. And it's weird because if they would only know they're forgiven of that sin, then they can overcome that sin. That's the way it works, you guys. 
we kind of sometimes put the cart before the horse, but we got to know who we are in Christ. You know, we have confidence, we have Christ. And then verse 22, look at the end right there. It says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water, with pure water. I wonder, like sometimes people, they don't see themselves the way that God sees them. You know, they look in the mirror and they're just beat up. They look in the mirror and they just, man, I blew it again. I'm such a terrible person. And, you know, there's this, there's this thing about not being able to see people the way God sees them. And there's this thing about not being able to see yourself the way that God sees you. When God sees you, he sees no sin. When you're a Christian, I, you may not see it, but God sees it. The sprinkled soul and the body that's bathed, that's in reference to the Christian who's clean. The Christian who's clean. Revelation 1.5, it says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. I asked the first service this, and I don't know if you guys are, you're probably smarter than they are. I have a feeling, but I'm not sure. Anyways, um, you know, like, I don't know. What do you guys think? If you get, have any of you here get sprayed by a skunk? Any of you here? Nobody here? Come on, you're, you don't want to admit, huh? Now, I don't know, I heard this. Is this true or not, that if you get sprayed by a skunk, that you got to take a bath in tomato? That's true? Yeah, okay, all right. Most of you are like, I don't know. Just keep teaching, okay? I'm just curious. <laughs> but there's something like specific, right, for certain things. We already talked a little bit about that. For us, it's being washed, it's being bathed, and you got to see the reality of it. In the blood of Jesus. In John chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. And that's the way it is for those who are believers in Christ. I, it's so important that you see yourself that way. See yourself that way. How many of you here, you look at a picture of yourself, and you're like, that, that's, that doesn't look like me. You guys ever do that? <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, that looks like you. <laughs> no, they, they, you know, the camera adds 10 pounds. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we get this thing, we, for whatever reason, man, we can't see ourselves accurately. And I just want to encourage you to look at yourself in the lenses of the Lord. It's very important that you see yourself bathed in the blood of Jesus if you're a Christian, because the burden's lifted. You're free. It's by grace that we belong. And so you have to know what you have, that you have confidence as Christians, boldness as believers, access to the Almighty to enter in, that you have Christ as your great high priest who offered himself to forgive you of all your sin. You are clean. You are washed. You are bathed. Your hearts are sprinkled. Even your hearts are clean. Because of what Jesus has done. Do you see that? I pray that you do. I remember reading a story about Martin Luther. Who one night he had a dream. And he saw an angel standing by a blackboard. And at the top of the board was Luther's name. And the angel was 
writing with a chalk in his hand, listing all of Luther's sins. And, and just boom, one after one, they started filling and flooding the blackboard with all his sins. And Luther, seeing them, just sunk in despair, feeling that his sins were so many that he could never be forgiven. But suddenly in his dream, he saw a pierced hand writing the words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First John chapter 1, verse 7. And as Luther saw that whole thing happen, he watched in awe as the blood began to flow down from that hand that was writing, and it washed his record clean. Luther went on to do great things for God. And he didn't do great things for God because he was this great man of God. He did great things of God because he was forgiven by God and he knew that. Do you see yourself that way? I pray that you do. It's vital to know what we have. And in our study today, we have three things listed as Christians. We have confidence, we have Christ, and we have cleansing. And so, what are you going to do with what you have? It's kind of interesting the way that life works, you know? I mean, like, sometimes we'll be at home and, okay, what's for dinner? Well, it depends what you got, you know? What do you have? We don't have much. Beans and rice, that's it. That's cool, man. And Jesus Christ, and we're good, right? Um, we're going to Cambodia. And a lot of what we're going to do in Cambodia is based on what we have. And it's kind of cool. Gabe was talking about the other day. Well, it just depends on who goes, what gifts they have, what talents they have, what heart they have. And when God supplies, then we'll know what we're supposed to do with what we have. Same is true as Christians. This is what you have. You have, you know, this confidence to go in. You have this Christ as your priest. You have this cleansing that's absolutely amazing. Now what are you going to do with what you have? And that's what Hebrews tells us to do. It says there in verse 22, first of all, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What do you do? Well, number one, get close to Christ. Nothing's more important than that. You draw near. You come close. You get right. You get tight with Christ. Can I ask you a question today? How close are you to Jesus? Seriously, how close are you? You guys know how it is when we have relationships with people, and some people, you know, we're close to Others, you know, we kind of keep them at a distance. I remember the Bible talking about Peter following Jesus at a distance. He was still following Jesus, but he was following Jesus at a distance. Some people do that. They're not close. And I don't know why. I mean, you can be as close to the Lord as you want to be. Isn't that cool? You know, sometimes we have, and I kind of alluded to something similar earlier, how, you know, you can have human relationships, and, you know, sometimes they make their boundaries, or you make their boundaries, or whatever, they won't call you back, and that happens in life, man, but, you know, not with the Lord. With the Lord, He'll be as close as you want Him to be. And so we have to draw near to God. The Bible says in James 4, 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. 
You know, we read earlier in this book, Hebrews 7.19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning and end of a better hope through which we draw near to God. You know, when you read the Bible, you read about different people and the different works they did, and it was all dependent on how close they were to God. You know, one of the greatest guys in the whole Bible, his name is Moses. But he was so different than everyone else, primarily because of how close he got to God, because how high he went up in the mountain and he spent time with the Lord. How do you get to know someone? How do you get close to them? You spend time with them. You know, when you read the New Testament, you read about all the followers of Jesus and you have the crowds that were seeking him for the wrong reasons. They weren't close. And then you got the 70 and Jesus sent them out and they did certain things. And then the 12 and then the three, Peter, James and John, and they had special privileges, but there was no one like John. John was Jesus and we believe probably Jesus' best friend on earth. The, the human relationship that he had with Jesus was amazing. And John referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And even Peter, when he asked you know, a question, he asked through John, hey John, why don't you find out who it is that he's talking about that's going to betray him. And so, you know, he goes through John and, and, you know, there's John and think about it, he was putting his head on Jesus' chest. How many guys would do that to another guy? <laughs> You know, but there's John. Just There's something way bigger than this. How close are you to the Lord? And I pray that you would draw near with a, with a true heart, you guys. You know, why are you here? Why do you do what you do? Everything should be because I want to know the Lord. You know, with a true heart. Jesus talked about some of the guys in his days. He says, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, and it's not about being perfect. I've learned that in life. It's not about how many Bible verses you know. I've, I've learned that being a Christian. It's about the sincerity of your heart. That's all. You got guys and they're really good and they know how to be real good actors and they go through the motions and they can quote all the passages and every single Christian cliche that you can imagine, but they are not sincere. And I tell you what, and you got some, and they don't know the Bible that well, and they, they can't quote, you know, all the great guys or cliches that we hear throughout the years, but there is sincerity to them that God sees. That's what God's looking for. I encourage you to draw near to the Lord. That's one thing that we do. The second thing he mentions there in verse 23 is we hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, there will be a tug of war, man. You know, you got the Lord, and you're holding fast to him, and there's the enemy just trying to, you know, to make you lose that, that grip, you know. And it's kind of weird how it works, but there is a, an element in which God's holding you, and there's also an element in which we're holding on to God. You guys never let go. Please, I beg you, never let go. The book of Hebrews is all about people who drifted away from God. And they were people that were once, you know, right on. And, you know, people have the debates on all those things, and that's fine. I just want, I just want to tell you guys, man, you got to hold fast. And the hold fast is to 
fasten yourself, to, to hold tight to Jesus, who is the head of the church. It says in Colossians 2.19, you hold fast to the, to the head. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.2, you, you hold fast to the gospel. You, you know what that is, and you never let go of that. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 2 Timothy 1.13, you hold fast, you hold tight to the Bible. You know, because the enemy will come in, ah, we don't need to read the Bible. Yes, you do, man. I tell you what, the the devil will will try to keep you from this book. Sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. I challenge you, you know, you be in your word. This is your sword. You hold tight to it. You never let go. You know, that's the type of person, that's the type of Christian I encourage you to be. There's a beautiful illustration of this over in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And you guys probably remember the story there of Naomi. And she was a lady who had uh, uh, been married. They went to Moab because they were having some struggles in, in their homeland and there was no food. And so they went over there, her and her husband, and there's two sons. And the two sons got married to, to Moabite women. But then, you know, times got pretty hard and then her husband died. And then her next son died, and then her next son died. And so there she is, brokenhearted, you know. And she's going to have to go back to her land, uh, to Israel. And she tells her daughters-in-law, she says, you know, you just stay here. You know, you got your own life to live. You're young, you can get married, you know, and you can have your own life. What do you, you can't wait for me to have a child, and then that can, you know, be the one that... You know, and so, you know, she's telling them, you stay here, I'm going to go over there. And it's really interesting when you read the reactions of the two daughters-in-laws. One of the daughters-in-laws, her name was Orpah. The Bible says that, that, that she kissed her mother-in-law. That's in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. And so she gave her a kiss, and, and then she, she went her own, her own way. But then her other daughter-in-law, her name was Ruth. And the Bible says that she clung to her. She clung to her. And she said, Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And she clung to her. You see, that's what we have to do with the Lord. There are a lot of people, they'll kiss the Lord and they'll say the right things, but they won't cling to the Lord. We have to do that, you guys. We have, you know, this confidence. We have Christ. We are clean. And so with that, what do we do with what we have? Well, let us draw near and stay close to Christ and let us make sure that we cling to Christ. We hold fast to him. Never let go of Jesus. And then the third thing he says in verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, um, in reading this text right here, I was just thinking about how, in one sense, the first two things that we do are like to the one, to the one, to the one we, 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 you know, we get close, and, and to the one we stay close. 
And that's our relationship with God. You know, it starts with Him. But it doesn't end there. It's to the one, to the one, and then to the one another. And, and what he's talking about now is about you guys, us, really coming together, coming to church service. There, let me tell you something. There ain't nothing like Sunday mornings. Man, Sunday mornings are special. You know, we know that God lives in the believer. First Corinthians chapter 6 says the believer is the temple of God. But 1 Corinthians 3 says the local congregation is the temple of God. And, and what he's saying right here is that when we consider one another in order to strip love and good works, what we're going to do is we're not, verse 25, we're not going to stop going to church service. We're not going to be like 40% of professed Christians. 40% are not committed to going to church on Sunday. They're like, you know what, I can't make it today. You know what, i got to wash my cat. You know, it's getting really dirty or something, you know. I'm serious. People, man, they are looking for a reason not to go to church service. I'm serious, man. Oh, I you stayed up late last night, and, you know, I kind of had to sleep in a little bit, you know, the beauty sleep. Or, I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. They say that every Sunday, and I had heard 30, but then the, the percentages went up to 40% of the church is missing. What are they doing? I was tripping out the other day on Saturday morning. We had our men's breakfast, and... Uh, and uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, men's prayer. And we were talking to Ed, and he's one of the guys. He's there every Saturday praying, but he's an older gentleman. He's in his 70s. And he was telling us about the times when everything was closed on Sundays, except for church and the movies. And so, um, you know, imagine that, you guys, if everything was closed on Sundays. But now, what do you got people? I'm serious. You, if you don't go to church, well, I did it one time. You know, you go to the mall. That's where everybody is. They're at the mall or, you know, they're doing their thing and they're, they're living their life. And imagine that, you know, how times have changed. You know, for us missing service, you're like, well, that's okay, I'll be all right. Well, number one, I don't think you're going to be all right. You know, because what ends up happening is when people drift away from the Lord, you know, you see it, they're not going to church service anymore. But not only that, what our text tells us is that when you don't go to church service, other people are going to suffer because you're not there. See, you going to church service is actually being considerate of others. I mean, because you guys know we're a body, right? We're a body of Christ. And so what would happen if, if one day your body, part of your body said, you know what, I'm taking today off, just out of curiosity. Some of you guys who are getting older, you know what I'm talking about, right? I woke up today, my back decided to take the day off. <laughs> you know, I mean, imagine how that affects the rest of the body. You know, and I know it's not easy. There are, don't get me wrong, I understand there are times when it's that you have a true valid reason. You know, maybe one of the kids is sick and you can't make it or... You know, there's a real, you know, true, you got to work. Some people got to work. But I'm telling you, um, unless it's really severe and serious, I pray that God would just put it in your heart to have a deep conviction to be there, not just for you, but for the rest of the body. I tell you what, because we need you. I need you. I get blessed talking to people. Or it could be a smile. It could be a hug. Just seeing someone there 
as a pastor encourages me. Don't take it lightly. There is a conviction that we have. They would get together on the first day of the week, the Bible says, every week. And, you know, you have other things too. Maybe God's calling you to do the men's study or the women's prayer. Or maybe a, it might be the men's prayer on Saturdays. But there's different opportunities to fellowship together, to, to stir one another up, to love and good works that God is saying you need to be there. You know, a midweek service. I mean, I, I haven't been a Christian for that long, but I tell you what, it's changed over the past 25 years. There was a time when Sundays belonged to Jesus. Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. I remember when I first got saved, the fire and the love and the passion of the body of Christ. They were there on Sunday mornings. They were there on Sunday nights. But it seems like in a lot of churches, they don't have Sunday night services. And I, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if there's one or two or three people, I will continue to teach your word on Sunday nights. But, you know, people got things to do. It's just, you know, I understand, you guys, but really you have to search your hearts. Uh, I want to close, and I know a lot of you guys have probably heard the story of, of Eric Liddell. You know, a great Olympic runner. And back in 1924, they even made a movie of his life, The Chariots of Fire. And in, in 1924, he was in the Olympics representing the United States of America, and it was in Paris. And Eric was actually the favorite to win the gold medal in the 100-meter race. Now think about that. Wouldn't that be kind of special to you? If you were going to the Olympics, come on, you're going to the Olympics and you're favored to win the gold medal, right? And so, you know, there he is, he leads, he wins his races and then finally he finds out that that, that final race is going to be on a Sunday. It was going to be on a Sunday. So imagine that, there you are and you got the choice to make, go to church or win the gold medal. I mean, if I win the gold medal, I mean, it I get my face on Wheaties boxes. I mean, it changes everything. And it's just one Sunday for crying out loud. But you guys know his story, huh? He said, I can't run. Sunday is the Lord's day. And he dropped out of the race. So what ended up happening was they offered him an alternative and they said, okay, well, you can run the 400-meter race. But you guys, for those of you who are running, you know there's a huge difference between a 100-meter and a 400-meter. And nobody thought that he was going to win. And, and so, you know, they gave him the opportunity. And, and right before he, he ran, someone went up to him and they put a little note in his hand. And it was a scripture. And it was in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. It says, those who honor me, I will honor. And you guys know, huh? He went on and he won the gold. And when I, when, I, when I read that, when I see that conviction in him, I get so inspired. I get fired up, you guys. You honor the Lord. You honor him. You're going to get tested but you honor him and you watch what God will do in and through 
your life.